Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. What's up, everyone? It is 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lauren, and today we're speaking with Jim Viglund from Viglund Advisors about cannabis pro formas. If you're considering opening a dispensary or a craft grow in the next few years or a few months, you're going to want to hang around us for a Jim's segment. But for now, we're going to get into a little bit of cannabis legalization news. So, Miggy and Tom, what is happening? Hey, hey Lauren. Thanks for bringing us on. And again, for the people joining us, we're gonna, you're going to want to stick around at the end because we have stuff not just about giving away Bovida packs, but also we have a 15% uh, off coupon for a Marijuana Business Daily's um, networking seminar that's coming up. It's a virtual one, of course, because today or tomorrow represents two months officially for us in Illinois under the dome. When did they, uh, the shelter-in-place order start for you, Miggy? You know, I'm trying to think about that. I think really when it was called pandemic, when, that's the, when the, that day of is when shit got real. Uh, at least for businesses and whatnot, because before that, people were slowly kind of, I honestly, I think it just kind of evolved itself here as far as people getting sick, staying home and saying, shit, something's different going on, you know? Wow. Yeah, that's something else. But in Illinois, there was a couple of different orders. I mean, it started around like March 12th or something, and then they shut the schools down, and then they said no gatherings of no so many people, and then it was just shelter in place, I think, after the 21st of March. And then that just started... Like you mentioned when before in the green room, I look more rested. My hair is way longer because uh, the application season got extended and extended again. So and then right now I got clients that are getting 10 day notices. I just wrapped one up for a couple of guys. Uh, and so they're going to be able to get get through that that hurdle. But if you guys have any problems with your 10 day notices, make sure that you uh, find our links out here. Go to CannabisIndustryLawyer.com and get in touch with me so that we can make sure that you're you're not deficient because like that's one way that they start to wean the crowd. You know, they, they have these 10 day notices that go out. And then if you don't respond to it or you respond to it wrong. Oh, how do you, how do you respond to it wrong? How do you... Oh, oh yeah. Like the it's um, it's written in um, you were in the Navy, right? You were in the yeah. 
things. So like, you know, regulatory crap. It's like written in regulatory crap. Uh, so like you so missed like, a freaking date or some shit. And it's yeah. jargon. Yeah. And it's just like all sorts of rules and like step step A7. You're like, oh shit, A7. What's A6? You know, and it's just that many rules you have to follow and comply with. So it's a method that they use to trip somebody up. Kind of like doing your taxes. Taxes are tough, man. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you got to stick around, because this is a great episode of Cannabis Legalization News. After the news summary, we're going to have a CFO type that would help your teams with your pro forma so that you understand your numbers and your numbers make sense. Because after I've done all these applications, I can really tell that's Mm. lacking in a lot of teams. So the 10 day notice you guys or your customers got your um, uh, whatever. uh, It was that saying 10 days to deadline. Oh, uh, no. And so like what happens is you get the notice by email and then the email says you have 10 days from tomorrow to respond by going to this Uh, portal. And then this portal, you need to upload this PDF and it needs to be titled this way. And then uh, here are your your problems. And then they they list the problems. And so right now we're just finalizing the titling and then uh, we'll upload a a clients and they're good to go for their social equity. There's been a lot of interesting deeks and the deeks are all over the place. Like they don't even really have any rhyme or reason or make sense. And the ones that are really annoying is that it's like they stack conditionals on top of each other. So this is missing and, or this is missing and, or that is missing. So you're like, which one, (laughs) Uh, you know, why didn't you give me a 10 day notice for what was missing as opposed to it could be this, or maybe it's that. Or maybe it's this. Yeah. Does that mean? Does that mean the uh, the ball is rolling then behind the wheel behind like the legislation sides? Because uh, uh, no, it means that KPMG oh. is is uh, grading the uh, dispensary oh. applications, and so uh, I don't know when they're going to announce dispensary application winners. Uh, it's going to hopefully be after all the ten day notices are in, because that's a little rigged. If there's some ten day notice windows that have not yet closed, yeah. um, and and we'll have to wait and see, because like the ten day notices have gotten different. So like there was different ones that I was seeing four weeks ago than the ones that I'm seeing the past two weeks. Okay. So we'll see. Is KPMG a third party or is that actually a state entity? No, KPMG is one of the big four accounting firms. They're actually out of Germany because they oh. know so much about cannabis grading. Really? No. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Just messing well, with you, but they know German efficiency. So, but, so like you're telling me the people who are getting paid by the state to look at the applications, the third party are like, yeah, we're actively going to try and start. But the legislation hasn't decided how to move forward for the people. Uh, the legislation that was in today's paper. So the legislator in Illinois is coming back to session. Is is Washington state in session? Because a lot of states are still kind of closed. No, but the reason why I ask is because, uh, you know, our friends at Marijuana Moment, they have uh, this one right here. Uh, Federal judge orders Ohio to let marijuana to criminalization campaigns uh, to collect signatures. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then to top that off, I think Montana and another state, they're also doing uh, collecting signatures during the pandemic. So, I mean, true diehards, man. I really hope because I put Ohio on the back burner. I'm just like, all right. But then uh, it looks like uh, Arizona, South Dakota, New Jersey, Mississippi. Those ones are still going. Uh, Florida, Missouri. Those ones look for 2022. Um Oh, and then uh, uh, what is it? Massachusetts, they just allowed, uh, well, they're Monday, they're going to allow uh, uh, pickups for rec shops. 
which they should have been essential businesses the whole time anyways. Uh, Massachusetts is really good at being really shitty at having cannabis laws. I, I just don't get the Northeast, man, because they were progressive back in the early, you know, slavery days. And then here we are encouraging the same bad. I don't know, get it. Yeah. Well, that's some of the articles that we just did for our publication, the Cannabis Law Reporter, uh, where my firm writes monthly articles and we're on the editorial board. But uh, one of them was how do you structure uh, these cannabis awards to avoid litigation? And our conclusion is you should probably kind of do what Arizona's doing in the sense that um, now it may it may be bad for people like me. I should be like, shut up, me. Make that make that jack. You know, uh, because when you have these competitive licensing things, there's a lot more lawsuits that go on and you can charge probably more for the cannabis consulting that you do when you're actually putting the license application together, Mm -hmm. Uh, because that license application, when it's competitive, as opposed to when it's standardized by the state, then you can have magic pixie dust of your proprietary knowledge as opposed to do these things. Okay, now you're in the uh, lottery. Yeah, okay. You win the lottery. Okay. Was the lottery rigged? No. You know, you have like a contract with Google or something to say like our random algorithm for generating a number was working appropriately at the correct time. So it's like, I'm sorry, that's conclusive proof. And then good luck trying to sue on that, you know? Yeah. It's just crazy how there's always people fighting for the right or the piece of the pie that, you know, they weren't fighting for before. Uh, Money. Yeah. And then also, again, I think this this pandemic is proven that cannabis is recession proof and not just recession proof, but not uh, the end of the world. Right. Yeah. It's well, it hasn't been the end of the world for thousands of years, but uh, it's, you know, as we know, it's been prohibited in South Africa for 14 years or 15 years before it was prohibited here in 1937 by the marijuana tax stamp act. It's just that that lie that everybody believes is so pervasive. I mean, imagine if adults like fucking adults still were believing in Santa Claus and like the tooth fairy. And they're like, what? Well, I think that wasn't us that that wasn't true. You know? And so like that, that uh, stigma is so rich and deep, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny too when I was researching on Africa's history with with cannabis. Uh, one of the, when I was talking to the gentleman, when I talked about the uh, the Indian workers from India. Uh, you know, they were like the the Mexicans in the United States, and it kind of when I was in Malaysia, I kind of joked that like uh, Indians are like the Mexicans of Asia because I just saw them everywhere where there was laborers, and then <laughs> to find out that they were just being just as oppressed in South Africa or in Africa as they were, you know, Mexicans in the United States. I was like, holy shit, mm-hmm. just the, the paradigms are just too much. Just like right. in uh it's uh, it's like uh the the hearse, the Rothschilds, and the um the other powerful people at uh a hundred years ago, those families all got in cahoots with one another to say, Hey, let's keep this cannabis plant out of our way. And then DuPont was like, I've just invented plastic. Let's keep this cannabis plant out of our way. And so you had oil, you had paper, you had newspapers, you had uh, plastics. I just don't get it because, you know, it's like the elite saying, okay, the you poor people cannot have this thing that makes your day better. Like of all the people who should be allowed to smoke weed, it's all your laborers, all your, uh, uh, you know, restaurant workers. You know, all these they don't, care, they don't care about you. They just care about their quarterly statements. And oh, so man. because of that, you know, they don't they it's not I mean, if everybody if our laws were structured to, like, promote the health and well-being of our citizens, they would look differently. 
Well, even the, a concept of like your our nine to five, it's like CEOs don't get piss tests. Like you don't see someone taking over like I'm going to be the, the chief financial officer over here, but I got to take a piss test. Well, tomorrow. it depends on how you read the executive contract, the CEO signs. If I was going to sign one, I would agree to, you know, piss test for cocaine or piss test for heroin. I don't want I don't want myself on cocaine and heroin, but I'm not going to agree to a piss test for even nicotine, you know. Or, or or THC or alcohol. I'm not going to read into any of that shit. But I'm just saying, like, all my shitty jobs, all my labor jobs, I've always had to worry about a piss test, you know, or a yep. random piss test. But when I've actually found a job that makes decent money and I and I, and I actually, they respect you as a human being, they respect your work, and, and you, you don't fuck up, I don't get a piss test. That's right. <laughs> you know, just, we we have this bar way the fuck up here, and somehow, how, how did that get set? Because... Our president's all the way down here. So why does it even fucking matter anymore? Oh, my gosh. That was something I thought about doing a blurb about before we get to the guest. I mean, our president is using a, a prescription drug inappropriately, like illegally. And he's taking it as a prophylactic, not because it is medically necessary. And it's also not approved for treating the coronavirus. Meanwhile, yeah. and but he's like, my body, my choice. I can treat myself however I want to. Why can't we do that with weed? Yeah. Why can't it be the first option for everybody? The holistic approach. If, if the president can take cloxochloroquine or whatever the frick the name is called, it's an anti-malaria drug that's not approved, that probably wasn't prescribed to him, and he can say, that's my choice. How come we can't smoke weed and yeah. say, like, no, I'm trying to treat my body. I would prefer not to take that Xanax. I would prefer not to take that anti uh, the ibuprofen. Let me just treat my body with weed. Well, you saw that video I did. I think the Inicus supports my immune system, so that's that's my right right there. That, yeah, that, that one hasn't gotten that one hasn't gotten yanked yet. But that's one of those ones like our our big popular one. And so again, always comply with the YouTube turn <laughs> service. This is an informational based uh, channel where we try to discuss relevant cannabis in, uh, information. But yeah, uh, that one of them got yanked because uh, it had something that said like weed kills coronavirus. And like that was a mm -mm, can't have that. And no, no. It. But then the president can can just spread lies and take pills. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the it's the duplicity. It's the double standard. It's the hubris. But on a, on a good note, though, and, and good legalization news, did you see that Illinois is going to be giving out thirty one million dollars in marijuana revenue funded grants to repair the drug war? Yeah. Yeah, they they're doing well. And that, yeah. was, that was built into the law. So that's really, really cool. I think that's the R3 program. And then of some of the qualifying applicants, they'll be able to access low interest uh, loans and or grants. So like uh, the qualifying social equity applicants after they win, if they are a social equity applicant, then they would qualify and they would be able to, at least for the dispensaries, be able to access some of that cash. I'd have to review it to see if the craft growers were able to access, pardon me, access that cash. But I don't recall them being included. Uh, I haven't looked at that part of the law, though, in like six months. Mm. Hey, uh, before we go to our guests, I'd like to put out a disclaimer. Um, this show is about to get extra sexy and extra, oh. uh, uh, you know, so like, we apologize to the ladies and even some of you dudes. Yeah. Get excited when you hear this talk, but it's we got sexy. We got a new, uh, we have a new layout that we're really excited oh, to do. Oh, my gosh. What were you talking about? I was talking about the topic. <laughs> Oh yeah, you, you don't mean adult conversations. I'm like, oh, come oh. on, we're going to talk about numbers and inputs and garbage in, garbage out, and FIFO methods. So spicy. I know, right? But uh, if you want a cannabis license, you're going to need this stuff. So stick around For and real, let's though. bring them out. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Jim. Have me on. 
Thanks, Jim. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Sure. Uh, I'm Jim Vigland. I come from a background in public accounting where I did audit and business valuation. Um, and then I made a transition into cannabis uh, in the state of Colorado. That's when I started to realize that the cannabis industry is so interesting and there's a big need for financial help. So uh, as of January 2020, I'm full-time Vigland Advisors. That is the name of my accounting practice. And I offer accounting services to the cannabis industry. This includes mostly uh, cleanup work, onboarding for new companies, getting their accounting processes set up, and 280E mitigation. Awesome, dude. Where did you get this type of experience, though? Like, you know, like with me as a lawyer, there's just very few cannabis lawyers. And I would imagine it would be the same thing with accountants. How did you get this uh, cannabis industry experience? Well, so starting accounting, that's obviously how I got in my passion for numbers. Uh, But then I worked for the Colorado Marijuana Enforcement Division. And that's when I realized, you know, I got to put the financial risk aspect into cannabis, which is already a high risk cash intensive industry. And I just thought that was awesome. I mean, the regulations change all the time. Uh, The whole market changes all the time. You have to keep up with the news constantly. And that frequently of change in a really cash intensive industry that's just blossoming right now. uh, It's too exciting to stay out of for me. No, you got a pretty uh, awesome perspective of being the enforcer. Because I've seen uh, old documentary with uh, Michigan. And it just seems like here in Washington, what I've seen, it's kind of like make it up as you go when these enforcers show up. Is that what you saw when you were doing what you were doing? Uh, you definitely have to be quick on your feet. You know, I mean, pretty much everyone in the industry is making it up as they go because it's still, you know, by federal standards, illegal. Um, so everyone's just trying to do their best. And it's, you know, collaboration is extremely important. <laughs> oh, you're on mute, dude. Tom, you're on mute. Oh, that's right. Um, well, some of those we'll talk about that in the green room but yeah i find it exactly the same you know it's been very very exciting and how quickly it changes and then uh the amount of greed that's there but check out that new uh background that we have that layout and tell you the three the three letter box thing is is looking pretty neat yeah you can connect with us you know what a thing that's so dope yeah so um well, let's let's talk about the 800 pound gorilla then, pro formas. Now, uh, Jim, why do you need a pro forma when you're getting into the cannabis industry? So this is the good stuff. So uh, first of all, for anyone who doesn't know, pro forma, pro forma financial statements are basically regular financial statements, except they're for future periods rather than past periods. Um, so it's very important for any business in the planning stage to have a well thought out pro forma because ultimately you're in the business for making money and that's your plan on how you're going to do it. So it's very important in Canvas because, one, the margins are a lot slimmer than a lot of people realize, um, but also many of the states in their application process require the business plan, the pro formas, pretty much everything you could possibly imagine in order to obtain a license. And so these states are looking for uh, both the viability of your business and the economic impact on the area, and your pro formas are the best place to get that information. Is a pro forma like an SOP or is that just like your books? No, it's um, it's basically the books. You know, it's uh, what where you see your financial position moving in the upcoming years. So it's you know it's it will look the exact same as past financial statements, where you've got an income statement, a balance sheet, a cash flow. Although instead of it saying year end nineteen, uh, year end two thousand nineteen, it will say year end two thousand twenty to twenty five. Right. It's extrapolating whatever information you have whether it's your past business uh, financial condition or if you're new business, um, a bunch of underlying market assumptions that kind of lead you to believe why you think you're going to be making that amount of money. Mm. 
Yep. And that is something that's so very, very important because your business plan is always included in every type of application that you have. And then they're going to grade it or it has to at least meet that industry standard that like Arizona would set so you can get into the lottery. And from that, how can you tell and demonstrate to the state that you actually are going to be able to afford this business and it will cash flow unless you have a pro forma? But uh, Jim, let's talk about the assumptions. What are some of the assumptions that go into a pro forma? Well, basically, for every single line item on any financial statement, um, especially pro formas, you have to explain why you think you're going to have that number. Um, so we'll just take sales, for example. That's a very top line item. Uh, the number you put on for sales, that's not a goal or a guess or uh, the number you need to make in order to be profitable. You're starting with you know, the market population, the marijuana consumption, the area, the product consumption, the area. And you're, you're taking data points and moving that into that sales figure. Um, so a lot of assumptions like that go into uh, the, the pro formas for sales and for all the costs. Um, it's important to think about what kind of costs you'll be having that are overhead versus variable. So, for example, if you're starting a new business, you buy a building, you know, that's either the mortgage or if you buy it outright, you know, that's a flat cost you can expect. Whereas the cost of your inventory, if you're, your dispensary and you're buying a bunch of flour from a cultivation, uh, the sales and the cost of sales are going to be very directly correlated. So it's kind of identifying what expenses are not moving, what expenses are moving, um, and what expenses are more discretionary, like marketing or something like that. Does one get a pro forma before they open doors or does like the pro forma kind oh, yeah. of grow with them? Yeah. Long, long before they open the doors. Uh, it's one of the, so the first thing, obviously, you know, if you're creating a new business, haven't opened the doors yet, you're pitching to investors, you need to show them uh, why they should be investing in you. So you've got a very robust business plan that's pretty much your map of the next few years. It'll tell people, including yourself, you know, how you plan on getting from where you are now to where you wanna be, how much money that's gonna take and the steps along the way. The pro formas are just the financial reflection of that. So in a good business plan, it's gonna have a very built out narrative that can tie all the goals and expectations and procedures that the company will be doing, it can tie that into the financial aspect as well and properly explain it to any of the readers that maybe uh, are not numbers people. So this is something that's done long before the doors open and will constantly change. Yes. What uh, Can you also use a pro forma to uh, establish, establish a valuation of the uh, business as a concern for purposes of setting allocations for membership interest or, or stock interest in a particular company, maybe a cannabis company that you're thinking of investing in? Definitely. That's um, a common way to value businesses is by looking at the expected cash flow over the next five years or, you know, whatever your time range is. Um, and so in doing this, uh, they will usually, you know, the pro formas will flow down to the net income and what the number is usually used for the cash flow analysis is called EBITDA. It's earnings before income or before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, um, some non-cash items. And using that number, um, they'll add back in certain irregular expenses to kind of stabilize cash flow to what you expect in the longer term. So bottom line is they are looking at the cash flow from year to year as to what they're expecting. And they're just going to discount that to come up with some sort of value. I imagine uh, uh, performers are different for either the grow, the store, whatever you want to be. Uh, we got a question. Nicholas Wager says, where would we get that data? And I imagine also that's where I come to you for because you're getting well, all those. 
Yeah, but then uh, th- it was actually just answered. Then uh, the the you know BDSA is one of the data providers that uh, publishes monthly. So if you're a member of the National Cannabis uh, Industry Association, every month you get an email that is the BDSA data. So they publish numbers. Uh, That's one of the best ways to get uh, the the market assumptions. Um, also, for you know me as an accountant personally, a lot of the stuff. I don't have the answer to, but the important part that you should look for in an accountant or any consultant is they know what questions to ask and they're not afraid to tell you what they don't know. So for example, I'm a numbers guy and I don't know much about the cultivation process. Um, So the important thing to look for if you're finding someone that you want to build out pro formas um, is that they're asking those questions like, well, what kind of yield do you expect? Uh, Why is that a reasonable number? Why do you think that? And they can start to drill into those market assumptions and then explain it and kind of translate it into the financial aspect. So as an accountant, I don't know, but I should know what to ask. Right. What about with uh, dispensary assumptions? So uh, if you were going to do a pro forma for a cultivation side, that's a little easier because somebody uh, who's a grower will be able to say with this amount of wattage per square foot, and under ideal circumstances that I understand, and, and by the way, here's the expenses that we'll need for our CapEx. We ex- anticipate making X amount of weight. And so that's easy to kind of uh, understand. But how would you create a, um, uh, a projection of sales for a dispensary as opposed to for a uh, uh, cultivator? Sure. Um, so that being, you know, starting with the sales figure. You're going to be looking at your region. You know, if you have multiple stores, you might be looking at several different local regions. Uh, you'll be looking at population, proximity to highways or big intersections. And then you basically start to predict your customer flow and what the demand is, because it's going to start with the demand. You, you can buy a ton of flour, but if you have no one to buy it, uh, your business is going to be in trouble. So often starting with the population, marijuana consumption in the area, um, and that's where you can get some data from. BDS analytics. There are groups like uh, the ArcView group that, you know, it's a bunch of high net worth investors. They put out some quality data as well, as far as consumption in different areas. Um, and then as for a dispensary, another key point to look at is what's the cost going to be for the product. So if you're vertically integrated, you've got this figured out in your cultivation planning. Uh, but if you're just a you know single dispensary or a chain of dispensaries, not vertically integrated, you need to look at the market in the area so you know, okay, what's the price of this strain versus this strain? Um, What is the price of concentrate? Is there any concentrate I can produce myself? Um, You need to be asking those kind of questions to be sure you're setting the right price point. Yep. Yep. And that was really interesting. Uh, Illinois actually has a very high uh, wholesale price point, like, you know, 3000 well, north of 3000, some like premium flour will be wholesaling for about $4,000 a pound. And that's before it goes to the retail outlet. Um, oh, wow. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, price will go down as more supply goes online, but the supply demand curve is probably going to support a fairly healthy price per pound in Illinois for the next two, three years. I'm just saying 4,000 a pound when here in Washington and Oregon, they're going 500 a pound. You know, it's insane the the competition with a large uh you know it's just a big market big guy has uh what do you call it the advantage because they can buy in bulk and they get the lower price point it's insane to hear four thousand pounds i mean that was 10 years ago prices five year ago prices you know three thousand 
you know, the Northwest Pacific specifically, how there's just a huge oversupply drove the uh, price of wholesale way down. And there's um, there are some organizations, I think MJ Business Daily, it might be that one, but I'm sure it comes from a variety of sources. But, you know, you can look up the wholesale price per pound throughout the country. It's crazy how much that changes. And a lot of it has to do with how long the industry has been established, you know, Colorado being quite a bit lower, Illinois being on the high side, just legalizing rec. Um, the costs are going to be higher. It'll naturally taper off. But I always kind of enjoy looking at that at the map. You can almost just see clearly like, oh, who recently legalized? Who's been perfecting this for a few years? You know, well, I mean, we come a long way either way. I mean, some people are I can go to a store and buy weed. I mean, that's a long way than true. But then when I'm when I'm trying to make a pro forma for my teams, what is the ratio of uh, flour to trim? Because the trim goes into the extraction, and then we have to do another ratio to see what's the uh, the weight of the extraction in the trim into grams of concentrate, and then we have to put a price on the gram of concentrate. So the performer includes every aspect of how you're making money, right? Um, yeah. As far as like with, a, with a, the flower, the trim, you know, with the plant, you can get the trim and the flower. So like you were saying, Tom, you can get both products. But also, uh, Jim, is there, coming from my, the nerd side, since you're an accountant, do you have like an algorithm that you use? Like, okay, you know, because business is pretty much, you know, you want more in than you want out, right? You know, or, absolutely. So you want to be profitable. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Or raising capital. Uh, no, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't have a secret formula, but if I do, don't worry, everybody will know. Um, you know, that, those are the, that's the kind of information I try to draw from the cultivators, uh, cultivators that have experience, you know, in well-established markets you know, getting cultivations up and running, turning them over or running it for a long period of time. Um, you know, those are the exact kind of questions I ask. And then I might try to trace that back farther down to, well, can you, uh, you know, this past cultivation that you ran, can you show me your output and what you actually sold and trim? And so I would try to break it down into the data so we can not only say, well, yes, this expert cultivator will tell us this is the ratio of trim to flower. Um, but look, you know, the, this past data this is actually what happened is output. That's why we can expect it. And that's why we can sell it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it could be garbage in garbage out if you don't have the right uh, inputs in there and it can be very, very difficult, but uh, let's, let's talk about uh, the, the, the financial accounting. So like what are the basic financial statements that a business needs to understand if they're going to read a pro forma? Sure. Uh, so pro forma will include the income statement, a balance sheet and a cash flow statement. It starts with the income statement at the very top. You've got your sales and that pretty much drives everything else you do. Um, and, you know, we've talked about enough about market assumptions that you get an idea for how you come up with those numbers. Um, but that just you follow that down the income statement to, OK, what's the cost of these numbers? What's the data backing up that cost? What are the discretionary expenses? You know, tie that in with the business plan to show that, you know, this is the plan and this is how we're going to do it. This is where we're spending our money. Then you get to your bottom line. Um, that is when you start to get the, the cash flow. So you look at the money you came that came in from investors, the money you spent in the first year. Uh, the difference between the cash flow and income statement is, unfortunately, you don't always get paid right away. And in the cannabis industry, the margins are slim. So in some cases, you don't get paid at all. So especially for new businesses, the cash flow pro formas are so important because you need to plan for um, taking a loss if a customer goes out of business when they owes you money. You need to plan for billing, you know, and by quarter. If you're an intellectual property company that leases out and gets royalties, sure, you're making money for months, but you might not get paid right away. 
Um, so that's why the cash flow is important, especially for the new businesses. And the balance sheet, you know, takes your initial investment, shows where you've put that money in assets in your building, maybe intellectual property, your equipment, and then ultimately, what's the equity? You know, what what's left for the investors? What's different about a cannabis performer versus a regular one? Well, in cannabis, the margins are much different. Um, one of the biggest things to consider when making it is the intent of proformas in general. It's for business planning. It's both for management and investors. Um, in general, proformas are not for state regulators. Now, you're going to share it with them for the license application, but it's important not to get wrapped up in the fact that it's part of the application. It's mainly for you and your investors to know what to expect in the future. Um, if you if you try to play with numbers to make it look better for an application, not only is that wrong because it's inaccurate, you're just going to be shooting yourself in the foot when a year down the road, you got the license, but congratulations, you're out of business. Um, and a, a, another really big part of it is the tax planning, especially if you're making pro formas with the intent of raising capital. It's very important to realize that um, in cannabis, 280E is, you know, the hot topic. And that's basically the rule that the IRS rule that says you're trafficking a controlled substance. So you cannot take normal business deductions. All you can take is cost of goods sold. It's important to uh, manage that expectation with investors. If they're maybe a, more of a passive investor, you know, you need to know that 80% of this money is going to Uncle Sam at the end of the day. Wow. Is that why there's so many C-Corps in this industry on the retail side? Partly. Also, if we really want to get nerdy, C-Corps uh, C are a little bit easier for changing equity interests. Correct. So especially as you know, you guys have seen in the last couple of years, and it's just continued to accelerate the amount of mergers and acquisitions. As cannabis matures throughout the country and gets brought into more and more states, you know, the there are more large companies that are buying out the smaller ones. Um, so there's a lot of that consolidation. And in general, C-Corps are much easier to acquire and make those kinds of transactions. Um, so that's a big part of it, too. Yes, it is. But uh, here's a question that somebody asked. How does bankruptcy work in cannabis, Jim? Now, I'm not sure if you know that one, but if you don't, I do. I am a lawyer. I'll give that one to you. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. You get dismissed. There's no bankruptcy in cannabis. Uh, the bankruptcy trustees are very clear on this. And so uh, what would actually happen if you're going to be out of business is uh, you're probably going to go into a state receivership. What does that mean? Like a bankruptcy? Kind of like bankruptcy, but not necessarily. Uh, you have an independent administrator come in to kind of wind up the business for the benefit of the shareholders, or very often it's the benefit of a creditor. Mm. Uh, back when I used to be a bank lawyer, I would have to see receiverships and bankruptcies all the time. And so um, receiverships are more popular in the Chicagoland area, especially if they have more real estate based um, businesses there, as opposed to downstate where you just don't see them as often. Um, but uh, receivership will administer the business and usually for the purposes of winding it up and paying off the creditors to the extent that they can. Exactly. That's about Canopy. Are you familiar with that company? No, I am not. So, I mean, it must, they must have been very But wouldn't a lot of, like a lot of companies, what they do too is kind of like a, um, like a shelter, right? Where I'm a pot store, but also I have an LLC on the side where I put my money. Is that a thing at all? Or? That's, uh, that's called downstreaming. So, Tim, are you familiar with downstreaming and LLCs? Um, a little bit. Um, but before I move on to that, I also had a note about the receivership. Another interesting thing to consider, you know, if any listeners, if that's relevant to them, um, 
being cannabis, you know, the intense scrutiny under the whole industry. And I learned this in Colorado as a regulator, even the receivership is going to be different than different industries because uh, they're very mindful of who's getting ownership and who's able to control the business. And so even to be a receiver, it might require some form of application or, you know, there's going to, there could be some hoops to jump, jump through for that too. Nobody's immune to the hoops. Nope. Um, for, as far as the uh, downstreaming, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of strategy and planning the business model. And that is a topic that changes very frequently. You know, like uh, a few years ago, a lot of people, well, and still a lot of people are using management companies where they've got one LLC that basically pays employees and kind of does the operations. And then business owners will sometimes claim that, okay, this is, this is not subject to 280E because this is not trafficking. This is providing a service. That's right. Um, and depending on how it's written up, that may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. But basically, the IRS is very aware of that. And so people really need to be careful and strategic about you know, how and what they're doing. Because it may seem like a great idea in the first few years when you're doing that and just raking in profits. And then in year three, if you get an IRS audit, yeah, you get a nice million millions or something. Millions. Like yeah. Tax bill. That, that is an existential threat for cannabis businesses. Yeah. Not not properly paying their taxes. I mean, well, you can you can get creative and you can you can mitigate 280E and you can maximize your deductions, but at some point there are things that just can't be deducted. Don't deduct those. Right. Mm. Because then you're just you're it's different. Like if you're a business right. owner and you want to be brazen and your industry is Pigs, cattle. Well, but also on the note of the downstreaming, um, there are there are ways that you can properly separate segments of the business, and that's fine. If you have a non-cannabis division that is only selling CBD and it's profitable, it's got its own employees, just happens to be at the same location or something, that may be something you can split out, do differently for tax purposes. Um, or, you know, just if you're just crushing on T-shirt sales or something like that, there are stuff that is sold in the dispensary uh, that, you know, isn't necessarily THC related. So there are ways and at times you can separate those out to save on taxes. But that just varies so much based on the business and the size of the company. Uh, because if you're you don't want to save a thousand dollars in taxes only to pay your accountant twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> no, what, what's your basis? Oh, go ahead, man. Uh, I'm getting the the, the, the account. Yeah, I hear it. What separates a strong performer versus a weak one? Um, really, it just comes down to the quality of the market assumptions. I mean, we talked about how BDS Analytics is good, Artview Group, MJ Business, uh, Factbook. Um, and then there are other places to get it, too. Uh, if you have an established firm with many cannabis clients, they might have some benchmarks so they kind of know what margins to expect. Um, but basically, the more rock solid your assumptions are, the better. Um, if you can go to any number on the financial statements and the pro forma and say, you know, explain it to somebody. Why'd you pick that number? It shouldn't just be like, Oh, well we need 5 million in sales to, you know, get a profit for investors. It needs to be more based on data. Like we can actually get 5 million in sales. And then not only that, it goes into your business plan because a lot of these assumptions are provided for in the narrative of your business plan. And that's explaining why your pro forma makes sense. Yeah. And so as you do that, then you're able to demonstrate that you're adequately capitalized to the state, which I have to think is in the calculation because they, this, they would just be derelict of the state to go to such lengths and then say like, oh, well, you've got such a great plan. I know you have a dollar eighty seven, but we, we believe in you, you know? Yeah. 
Does a performer and a business plan come hand in hand? Um, not always, but often. I mean, in a business right. plan, you will have a pro forma of some sort just to show your the financial map as well. Um, but in in that case, the most important thing, and you know, Tom touched on it too, just integrating the two. You know, I've seen some business plans where it has a good narrative. It seems like a well thought out description of what their plans for the next five years, and then they've just got their financial information, and they're kind of segregated. You don't want an information dump where it's oh, this is our narrative marketing, product lines, blah, blah, blah. And then boom, 10 pages of spreadsheets. Now I love 10 pages of spreadsheets, um, but not everyone is able to properly, you know, relate the two. See, oh, you're going for a huge marketing push when you open, your marketing expense is super high in your first quarter and then tapers off. Or you're slowly adding product lines over the course of three years. That's why your sales figure is steady, 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 goes way up, steady goes way up, then just tapers off, gets slow growth. Um, So basically, business plan and performance do go hand in hand. And the better you can integrate the two, uh, well, yeah, the better, the more you integrate it, the better. Right on. Yep. That's uh, it's what we've uh, preached over at my little cannabis consulting company that I have. Um, and and I agree with it. And that's one of the reasons because like, you know, when you're ex- explaining to the state and you're demonstrating completeness and robustness in your in your application, because it very often you either have to get over a line or you have to win something, uh, the better that you can communicate that to them, the, the more ammunition you have in your argument in case you don't prevail. Good so. Could a performer help enforce the social equity argument as far as like, because you have to show your ins and you show your outs as far as like 10% towards whatever or nothing? Yeah, Maybe. That one That one I can kind of speak to a little bit because we did carve that into our pro formas. Mm-hmm. Um, we carved into our pro formas, not necessarily the social equity, but the give back to the community. Okay. And so uh, if you define that as social equity, the give back to the community, kind of. But then it's, you know, how do you show uh, financially? Uh, now, maybe one thing you could do is like the net profit and you would have like a line item that says 51% goes to the social equity owner. Maybe you could go to that extent, but I don't know if that is, is just way overkill, you know? Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, performers, you know, this is like the boring talk, but it's just necessary. It's the business. Uh, it's like, yeah. This is, good stuff. this is good stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> if I'm going to try to value my company, I want to see the cash flows. I want to see the statements. Where are the expenses? What's the next year's projections? Why do you think it's going to be that? You know, all of those types of things uh, that you have to uh, answer when you are trying to. Because, like, if I like my pro formas and I like my business plans to be able to provide you, the person I'm asking for a large sum of money, with something that makes sense. Uh, and like a, a return on that investment be like this is why we're offering this percentage of our cannabis company for this price according to this convertible promissory note mm-hmm. uh you know because why have a partner when you can have a creditor well and, yeah. this is why investors go to you guys like you had the 100 pages in the applications uh jim i imagine performers are not a small task they, they can be very time consuming yeah Especially because, you know, as I kind of mentioned, the the job of someone developing a pro forma is to extract information from the business owners and the, you know, how financial savvy, how financially savvy business owners is can vary drastically. Um, So it's important to realize that, you know, you're getting hired to do it for a reason and you need it's your job to extract that information. So, you know, you might ask a question a dozen times and get one answer, ask a different way and get another 
Um, so it's, you know, it, it kind of depends on how time consuming it is, is how good you are at extracting that information. Well, especially in the cannabis industry, I'd imagine uh, sometimes it's like pulling teeth for people trying to hide their money all the time. Yeah, it can be. That was one of the interesting things in the state, just making sure all money is, you know, appropriate and legally obtained. But, you know, people have a right to privacy with their own money. So, you know, when you're planning for a business, you know, investors do want some level of privacy. But in general, it's also good to establish the expectation that you're probably not going to get that in Canvas for a while. No. And then that's just the best practice is to be as open and transparent and as uh, cooperative with the state because the state is letting you print that money. And so the state is just asking that you don't steal from them and you pay their taxes. That's it. And then did you hear that there's a fundraiser for uh, Steve? Oh, yeah. It'd be great if you go to the fundraiser for Steve. I'm not sure how much that goes on, but uh, that was that's what happens out east. Uh, when they have too much power in the municipalities for the licensing awarding, that was that one Fox Glen or something in Massachusetts, that, go- that, that mayor was arrested for like taking hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes because this stuff passes. I mean, like, you know, Jim helped uh, with our uh, cannabis craft grow pro forma. You can see the money. Like after the taxes are allocated and accounted for, you're like, no wonder that's why so many people are applying for this. Hmm. You know, because th- that was something that I wanted to mention earlier on in the show when I was having the echo problem. Uh, the the rich people buy cash flows. And so if you you are presenting this business model and business plan and, and pro forma integrated therein as uh, an ask to a rich person to buy your cash flow because you need that capital infusion very often to do the build out costs or the application costs because I'm not working for free. You know, I'll right. free. <laughs> Definitely. If you're you know, if you're creating the pro forma as a business plan as part of a, an investor pitch. That's when it's especially important to integrate the two, because like you said, at the end of the day, they're purchasing return. You know, they, they expect a return out of that. And while they would love, you know, everyone would likes to see a business grow and make an impact. They're also investing for a return. Always. They want to have a plan pretty much. Right. Oh, got Tom's got issues. That button was being a bitch. Right. I, I kept like hitting it and like unmute. Unmute. It's just blinking at me because that blinking means mute. Yeah. And that's that's something that they also really want is they want their money back. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm like, okay, look, let's give you your money back first. Before we start giving you stock, let's say that we owe you the million bucks or however much you took. And then you can accomplish that. And you can also put that into your pro forma debt service uh, to the uh, person. And then that debt service could be demonstrated and shown. Uh, also to the regulators, because that person who's going to do the influx of money is going to need to sign uh, a letter of intent or some type of contractual obligation to go into your financial disclosure exhibit. It's exhibit P for the um, uh, the craft grow. And and you're just trying to have all your ducks in a row. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But then, uh, well, you know, I think a performer is something high times didn't have. Yeah. You know what? You know what? High Times does have uh, CBD. Uh, they actually <laughs> have to have a pro forma because they're doing all those capital raise things. No, I you know. really aren't going to have a private placement memorandum without a business plan that has a pro forma. No, I get you. Might be buried, but they're somewhere. Yeah, they're somewhere. 
That's right. Because like, you know, we, we make fun of high times sometimes because if you try to Google high times, they will try to get you to invest in them. I get emails every day. It's just sad to see an icon fall down the way it is. You know, they had so much opportunity, so much content, and now they're just panhandling online. It makes me sad. <laughs> I have respect for the, the people that were there before us to help, you know, send the message. But now they're all turning to Walmarts. <laughs> you can only send the message so long and you can really only send the message if you can afford it. I think Ludacris said that you can't record it if you can't afford it. <laughs> yeah. That's dope, dude. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we go to uh, ask more questions about Proformas and anything, any financial questions we have? Sure. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's uh, been really fun. Uh, the best way to stay up to date with me is follow me and Vigland Advisors on LinkedIn. And then I also have a website at viglandadvisors.com. Awesome. We'll throw those in the description. Before we go, we did have a message from friend of the pod, Lisa Buffo, about how you can save 15% off their uh, cannabis summit. Let's see what she has to say. Hi everyone, do you want to increase your cannabis marketing ROI? Join the Cannabis Marketing Association and Marijuana Business Daily at the Cannabis Marketing Summit, a virtual conference from June 1 through 4. With over 30 cannabis CMOs and marketing leaders, four panels, three workshops, networking session, and more, you'll be able to meet new cannabis communications colleagues and learn from the best brands in the business. Use the discount code THANKYOU15 for 15% off at thecannabismarketingassociation.com backslash summit. Thinking about checking that out. Yeah, for sure. That's going to yeah. be fun conference well the conference the marijuana uh, cannabis is a or was a trade show centric industry uh bizcon i mean there's uh, jim what how many cannabis conventions are in denver i couldn't even begin to estimate (laughs) in the from size you know they've got like they've got the huge ones you got a few of those a year then there are all kinds of just local events meetups or smaller smaller events to go to so there's no short of events. Yeah, and they're all they're all on this now. And so it's interesting. And so it's great for Lisa to, to come on and pitch that. Buff up don't pass. Yeah, for sure. We'll throw those links in the description. Thanks for watching, everybody. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We will see you on Sunday. <laughs>